Welcome to episode 39 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski, producer Dan Humphrey, and Scott Harrington. With On Air, we bring you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as a Team Ohio player is about more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as athletes, being a great teammate, and part of, a, of the community. That's why Team Ohio's premier Tier 2 hockey program welcomes youth players ages 5 to 18 years old to join the nationally lauded program with reasonable fees, transparency, and athlete development that has prepped players for teams at all levels. Team Ohio is here to coach players for success both on and off the ice. Go to teamohio.com to learn more. Well, boys, last week, Dave Starman did not disappoint at all. Uh, there's no better authority on college hockey. And it was, it was great picking his brain on the four NCAA programs in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area, as well as the NCHA, uh, NCHC pod, the World Junior Tournament, and other topics. I, I really, really enjoyed that conversation. And, and, you know, Dave, when you listen to him on, on an, a broadcast, he, he's very direct. He's very, uh, I don't want to say demanding, but he, he carries himself very uh, direct. And so I didn't know what we were going to get last week. And it was, I was pleasantly surprised. And uh, then for him, uh, Scott sent us out that that shout out he gave us uh, at the North uh, Dakota game. That was kind of cool. I think that Dave Starman brings an energy to the game. And when you're trying to grow in, in a lot of areas, a lot of demographics, you're trying to grow the college game on television. For those that may not get a chance to watch, you know, college sports, you think college sports, you think of football, basketball, you know, the March Madness and the, and the uh, uh, college football playoffs, whatever they got going there. College hockey, Dave Starman brings an energy to it that makes it exciting to watch. And he definitely brought that energy with us last week. And and hell, he was driving. He was doing that while he was driving. So he's a high energy guy that knows his stuff. He's well connected throughout the hockey world. And and he told some fun stories and and it was really cool to have him on. And and like you said, it was really cool to to hear the pod shouted out uh, during the North Dakota game last week. Yeah, the North Dakota St. Cloud uh, State game. Uh, he gave the podcast a little bit of a shout-out. On the heels, though, of uh, a Cleveland native uh, goaltender, Adam, for uh, uh, North Dakota. So that was kind of neat, and uh, we want to thank Scott Harrington for sending that over to us. Uh, to our listeners, yes, management is back in the house. Uh, no. Jay, I, I don't know, man. I, I just I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe we've lost it or something, bro. Well, I'm thinking that, you know, normally you get your quarterly review. Apparently something isn't right. Sometimes you got to just shake up the lines, you know, <laughs> wow. shake wow. the tree. <laughs> See what? Shake the tree to get, get the fruit, right? right. Well, 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 well played. 
Scott Harrington. Yeah. Well played. Yeah, but you know what though? When you normally get those quarterly reviews, yeah, you normally get those quarterly bonuses too. Yeah, I know. I I keep checking the mail and no, nothing. Well, uh, cupboards bare still, I guess. Well, I have to tell you this, Jay. I, Bob, I, I Bob, they saw Bob McKenzie probably took all of our money. Yeah. Well, Ray <laughs> Ferraro, who, who Ray Ferraro took all there. mine. Ray Ferraro got yours. So. Ray Ferraro. I, I I wake up was it I think Saturday or Sunday morning. <laughs> And there's an email in my inbox and it's, I'm like, what in the hell is this? And then I, I hit, I hit it and it's, it's Ray Ferraro. And he's like, Hey Sully, it's Ray Ferraro. <laughs> Management told me that your internet sucks. What do you have? Two tin cans. <laughs> it was, it was priceless, man. It was priceless. I didn't get it. I didn't realize that that, uh, I didn't get a notification. I'm glad that that got sent. Have, have you, have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. I'll send it to you then, Scott. That's it's, so I must have done something wrong because the Bob McKenzie one I I got it, uh, so I don't know what I did wrong. But uh, no, I, that's, I'm glad to hear that. No, well, it, it, I'm, I'm it glad was Uncle funny. I'm glad Uncle Bob's taking uh, all our money, and then now apparently Chicken Parm has decided to take the other uh, butt of our money. So well, for some reason, Uncle Bob was half price, so I figured I could do uh, <laughs> these two. And it's because uh, he's, he's retired. That's the budget for the year is gone though. All right, yeah, here, here's here's a little snippet of it. Hold on. Hey, Sully, it's Ray Ferraro from TSN. How you doing, man? Hey, I got a message from the management of your podcast. Like, what the hell is going on there, man? You're in charge of the internet. So you get great guests like Dan Bilesma or Enrico Blasi and Mike Rupp. I mean, Mike Rupp scored two goals in game seven in the Stanley Cup finals. And you got internet that cuts out? Like, what do you got? A couple of tin cans strung together? You got AOL dial-up? Do you hear that? Like, seriously, man. You're doing, trying to be a professional, and you're cutting corners on your internet. That's awesome. The management says, "Get your shit together." <laughs> Dude, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. that is so, phenomenal. So that's what I woke up to. So management, that's thank awesome. you. I think that's our that that's our quarterly bonus right there, love. Yeah, great, great, great. So no, but but so Scott, you weren't on the uh, the interview with us last week, but you listened to no. it. What what'd you think yeah. of it? I, before he came on, you know, obviously I knew who he was and, uh, the two words that popped to mind were passionate and, uh, educated or knows his stuff. And you, like you said, he was driving. It's not like he had notes or he was looking stuff off no. on the internet. He he's definitely, he was in the pod for the NCHC. So he's knows all about what's going on in Miami, but you throw out Mercyhurst, Ohio state and Bowling green. And he had something to say about all of them had all the knew who all the assistant coaches were and all that. So, I mean, he knows what's going on at all 60 NCAA D1 schools for sure. I mean, he's just, he, he does know his stuff inside and out. And uh, that's what makes him a perfect color man for uh, college hockey. Yeah. Well, I also no. thought it was interesting. The other avenues he was, he was uh, looking into uh, some player op stuff, some, some front office, yeah gigs with uh pro teams with nhl teams and and just trying to basically grow his resume i mean he's obviously he obviously knows the game and you know coming from the scouting realm and the coaching realm and and learning under uh uh quenville and uh barry trotz he's he's got the pedigree and it was and, interesting uh, he, he was talking about the atlanta knights and the, the making whoopee and that because right? i well, actually met him 25 years ago he was the color man for the atlanta Knights. well i guess he was doing coaching as well but he did color commentary on their TV games 
and they played a couple games at Gund Arena. So I, I met him, you know, 25 years ago. Did he and, ever did he ever leave you in Detroit because he was mad he was late to do color commentary? Not once. Oh, that was some that was another guy we know. Okay, go ahead. Else, yeah. That could have been the best name of any semi-pro team or, or minor league team, Macon Whoopi. And I meant to look up their logo. Not, I'm not trying to be provocative there. It was like a, a tree or a, a plant or something. I forget what it was. What'd you I do last know. night? Well, we went, we went to making Whoopi. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened? What hey, do you mean? Chuck, what happened? We this, went to the game. What'd you Chuck, do at the game? Making went to overtime. Who? What team? <laughs> making Whoopi. Chuck Willer. We'll see you in two and two. <laughs> well, it was good. Man. Hopefully, you guys have had a good week. Um, it's been, you know back to work everything's normal i don't want to say normal but as can be uh, high school seasons are starting to wind down here in in the ohio uh, area so um hopefully we'll have a lot of good stuff to talk to uh or talk about i should say leading up to uh state tournaments and some playoff tournaments but you know this week uh it, it's it, it, it's gonna happen the american hockey league is going to return to play this week uh, the cleveland monsters have been practicing for the last week or so in strongsville and will play their first game of the season Friday night in Rockford, Illinois. This will be year six of the affiliation between the Monsters and the Columbus Blue Jackets. And it will also be the sixth year behind the mic for Monsters play-by-play man Tony Brown. We look forward to talking to Tony uh, today on the podcast. But before we do, let's see what's in the news on the Ohio Hockey Digest. There was an oversight by management last week, Scott Harrington, and we were not prompted to discuss the blockbuster Columbus-Winnipeg trade that sent Pierre-Luc Dubois to the Jets in exchange for Patrick Lina and hometown boy Jack Roslovic. Gentlemen, what do you think? Well, I, I just want to say this. When we spoke to, uh, and forgive me, what, did, what was uh, his name? We spoke to Columbus Blue Jackets writer. Jeff Svoboda. Yeah, when we spoke to, to him and we said, with as much as Pierre-Luc Dubois wants out, is that going to affect like how Trot or I mean how how he is looked at on the bench and, and all that other stuff? I guess we got our answer quickly. Yeah. Well, when he went out there and had just a banner shift, I mean, he did nothing to get the puck. Now, we we've played this game, understand things happen. I'm not trying to downplay a professional athlete here, but. It didn't look good. It wasn't a good look, and 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 that was the shift, right? Wasn't that he only had like three minutes and some seconds of ice time that that entire game? Uh, number one center, he had three minutes and whatever seconds, right? So obviously he wanted out. He'd had enough. I think that Columbus, as long as Line A decides that he wants to play the way he can play, Columbus wins this trade. You got Roslovic coming home, Columbus boy. You got Patrick Line, one of the premier goal scorers in the league. And it's just, I mean, Columbus need a goal scorer. They got one of the best in the league. Hopefully, uh, and I'm sure Pierre will do well in Winnipeg with, uh, God, my mind just went blank, uh, uh, their coach. Uh, Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice, one of my favorite guys to watch interview, and I can't think of his name. But you know, I, I, I'm excited for the people of Columbus to get a goal scorer that can, that can absolutely electrify with, with you know, Damn near every shot. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. Scott, I think what about you? I think short term, the Jets are going to come out on top. But if things fall into place, uh, Columbus could end up 
winning the deal long-term if Patrick Laine is scoring 40 goals a year. Yeah. I think he needs an elite playmaking center, and I'm not 100% sure that Max Domi is that guy, but he'll get the first shot, and maybe they, you know, maybe it works. Um, but Dubois is going to go from being the first-line center, facing the toughest matchups every night, and not having you know the most dynamic talent around him to work with, to being the second-line center in Winnipeg, getting better matchups, and having – you know, probably Nikolai Ehlers and uh, who knows who will be on the other side. So I think he's going to have a huge year this year and it's going to look like Winnipeg won the trade. But if uh, Columbus can get line a re-signed, he needs a new contract. That's the other thing that's going to be expensive. Um, but if they can, you know, find a, find a, a match for him and get him signed uh, this summer and Torts doesn't strangle him, then I think uh, it could be it could be something else because he is he's unbelievable. What did he score? Forty eight goals as a nineteen year old or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nobody can shoot it like him except maybe Ovechkin. You know what though? You you look at the makeup of Columbus and it's hardworking guys that grind. And if you don't want to be a part of that, you can find your way out. So no. I'm ho- I'm hoping I'm, I'm, if he's not putting up 40, 50 point, 50 goals. Yeah. Better be working both ends of the ice. Yeah. But anyways, keeping in the pro game in a surprising move, the Pittsburgh Penguins general manager, Jim Rutherford, resigned seven games into the season. Assistant GM Patrick Alvine has taken over on an interim basis as the team conducts a search for Rutherford's replacement. Have uh, any of you guys ever thought about becoming a general manager in any way, shape, or form? Scott Harrington, uh, proprietor of the BHL. Absolutely. I think I would do a great job running the Pittsburgh Penguins, especially with Crosby and Malkin as my uh, top two centers. Would you Would but, you uh, have come down to uh, the dressing room the other night and said, hey, Sid, I know you're one of the best players in the world, but let's keep the uh, lacrosse goals or oh. lacrosse shots off the-, <laughs> the backhanded lacrosse attempt. I almost threw the remote through the freaking TV when I saw that. Did you happen to see the reaction from the New York Ranger defenseman or f- players in front of the net? No. Perfect. Chop. Chop, <laughs> chop, cut the tree down. I'm surprised they didn't break his stick in half. Jay, you, you asked if we thought about throwing our hat in the ring. I actually, I prefer just to stay uh, where I'm at, working at a high school and banging my head against the wall with high school kids. Yeah, I think that'd be. I think that's a better spot. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. I don't know enough foreign foreign language to be able to uh, to be a general manager. Because uh, as far as last I heard, uh, Evgeny Malkin still doesn't know his teammates' actual name, so it's pretty fun. <laughs> Very surprising, though, is seven games into the season that he would step down. There's got to be something more going on there. A hundred percent. Find out later. Yeah, uh-huh. sure. well, we will never find out, but possible. Probably not. Yeah. Former Gilmore Academy prep goaltender Cole Hudson announced his commitment to the University of Vermont last week. Hudson, 20, hails from Tonawanda, New York and currently sports a 11-2-3 record with a 2.21 goals against average and a .924 save percentage for the Shreveport Mudbugs of the Tier 2 North American Hockey League. Those stellar numbers helped him secure a spot at UVM, a Division I program that plays in the Hockey East. He has also played for the South Shore Kings in the NCDC and the Rockland Nationals of the CCHL since playing for Gilmore Prep during 2017-2018 season. Management, you went to Vermont, correct? 
Oh, oh, I'm, boy. Oh, 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 I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, He's, University of New like Hampshire. A, I, know, he, I know. He looks like a catamount. Look at him. So you, you're up in that neck of the woods. Yep. So I'm sure you, you have dealt with the University of Vermont before as you were at New Hampshire. Why is it called UVM? Well, I found this out uh, yesterday when I uh, looked this up because I, for 50 years, I, I, always thought that that was kind of funny that the acronym was UVM. I thought it was Vermont and that was kind of an odd way to do it. Okay. But I looked it up and it's actually Latin for universe, universitas, whatever's Latin for university, universitas veritas montis. So it's actually Latin for the university of the green mountains. Oh, I would have thought it was what you said. UVM because exactly. Vermont. It's like uh, Norm Macdonald's got a, Thing about ID. It stands for the I stands for I and the D stands for dentification. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Well, I listen, I didn't mean to get you throw you into a bad spot when I asked you to go to Vermont. Is that it? That's a huge rivalry, right? New Hampshire and Vermont. It not as big as New Hampshire, Maine, but okay. it's, yeah, it's a it's a border rival rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Did you go to the uh UNH and uh Black Bear games? Oh, absolutely. Who'd some, you root some for? Some big ones. Who'd, who, who'd you, you root should, for? They would, they would be kids, when they we played at Snively Arena at UNH, they would be kids lined up around the building in 12-degree weather at about 9 o'clock in the morning to get in for the when we played Maine. And they usually beat us. But great rivalry. And they had Korea there. And I was going to ask you, did you Brown see them? brothers. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, Actually, was, uh, I got to take the phone call from the league office to tell Sean Walsh, the main coach, that they were suspended. They were getting, they couldn't play in the tournament that year because they, had, I forget what the recruiting violations they had broken, but they they cut some corners there up in Orono. <laughs> Did uh, who were the goal, who was the goaltending tandem? Was that Garth Snow and Snow and Dunham? Wow. They had Snow Dunham. Korea was a freshman. Uh, he won the Hobie that year, didn't he? He won the whole, he scored 100 points in 40 games as a freshman, true freshman. The Ferraro twins, uh, Montgomery, the coach uh, yeah, from the Flyers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who else did they have? I forget. Yeah, a bunch of other. Uh, Johnny's Roy was like a really good college player. He didn't do much in the pros, but yeah. Well, all right. Well, the Wheeling Nailers of the East Coast Hockey League returned to the ice last weekend after a three week hiatus due to COVID protocols. The Nailers played like a team trying to find their legs on Saturday, falling behind three to nothing in the first period before finishing much stronger in a five to four home loss to the Indy fuel on Sunday in Indianapolis. However, Wheeling recovered from a three to one deficit to tie the game, then won it on a goal by Cody Sylvester in sudden death overtime. After initially trying to get a short shortened season off the ground in January, the tri-states collegiate hockey league will not play a league schedule or tournament. Commissioner Tim Driscoll broke the news to the Ohio Hockey Digest Tuesday. There won't be certainly a regular season, and um, I would say definitively not even a postseason. Even if a few programs decide to play on their own, they may have a hard time scheduling games. Some teams have even practiced, albeit in a controlled environment, you know, limited number of players on the ice at any given time. But um, And there's probably three max for holding out hope for games schedules, but 
as you just mentioned, you know, when you look across the landscape of who's playing across the country, there just aren't very many teams playing, and there's it's impractical, um, you know, to travel to out west for a couple of hockey games, right? So there's a lot of factors uh, working against anything happening this year. The ACHA will not hold regional tournaments, but will have a national tournament in April. It is possible that a TSCHL team could go to nationals. You know, just be a one overall national tournament. And um, if a TSCHL team were to play, they would be eligible to compete in that tournament um, if they could get enough games in and things of that nature. The Toledo Cherokees swept a home-and-home series from the Metro Hockey Club last weekend and, in the process, leapfrogged the Pittsburgh Vengeance into second place in the Great Lakes Division of the United States Premier Hockey League. The Cherokee are 8-1-1 in their last 10 games and are now one point ahead of Pittsburgh. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as Team Ohio player is more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as athletes, being a great teammate, and part of a community. Go to TeamOhio.com to learn more. Let's get on air with our next guest, Tony Brown. Tony Brown is a lifelong hockey devotee who, whose passion for the hockey and broadcasting has taken him from Minnesota to Central New York, West Texas, Omaha, Indianapolis, and the great city of Cleveland. A 2010 graduate of the prestigious SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University, Brown's hockey roots stretch deep into his native Minnesota. Please welcome the Cleveland Monsters Senior Manager of Broadcasting and Team Communications, Mr. Tony Brown. Welcome, Tony. Hey, great to be with you guys. Quite an intro there. I, I feel like you must have gotten that off some old resume or my website maybe or something like that, but Rings a well, bell, and uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for joining us. We, we are, we've anticipated uh, this day that we could talk about hockey returning to Cleveland this year through the pandemic. So uh, we're, we're excited uh, to have you on. We're excited to hear. I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear about uh, the Monsters. This will be your sixth year with the Monsters, and this is your longest stop in what was a winding road through hockey world for you. Tell us about how you got into broadcasting and the jobs that led you into Cleveland. Yeah, uh, well, by far and away, this is the the longest stop I've had. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned there, I, I grew up uh, playing hockey in Minnesota, was always interested in the game, um, and then just sort of uh, became clear to me that uh, if I was going to stick around the game, it wasn't going to be playing. So I had to find another way to uh, stick around the industry, and, and I sort of ended up, uh, after a couple of years at school in Vermont, I ended up at Syracuse University and uh, yeah, just sort of put myself on a track, uh, intern with the Syracuse Crunch back in those days. Um, and then uh, my, my real big break, I, my first job I got was uh, in the North American Hockey League down in Odessa, Texas, a team called the Odessa Jackalopes that used to be in the old Central League for many, many years. And, uh, you know, uh, like many teams in that part of the country dropped down to the junior ranks. And so I was there for their first year in the North American League. A uh, couple of seasons there, then on to the, the great uh, Omaha Lancers program in the USHL. Really special place, special hockey community there in Omaha. Uh, from there, just one year there, and then one year in Indianapolis, where I uh, was the first uh, help launch the Indy Fuel uh, in 2014-15 in the ECHL. I was their first broadcaster. 
And after that, I was lucky enough to get the other big break I've had, which is uh, to get this opportunity with the Monsters, at the time the Lake Erie Monsters, but uh, the Cleveland Monsters here to, you know, be able to work in a city like Cleveland that that not just loves hockey, but loves sports in general and, and, and has passionate fans that really care deeply about their teams. That's a dream for anybody calling games to work in an environment like that. So, um, you know, working with the Cavaliers organization, of course, arriving just in time for the championship in in 2016, I mean, it's just uh, Cleveland means so much to me. It's it's you know become home to me. Uh, it's where I met my wife. You know, it's it's uh, so many great memories, and uh, I, I love it here. I just feel like I'm the luckiest guy in broadcasting to get to do this uh, specifically in this city. That's awesome. So this this season is the five year anniversary of, of as you said the championship, the Calder Cup championship here in Cleveland. Had you ever been a part of a championship experience before? <laughs> not as a, not as a, a staff member, not as anybody involved with the team, not even as a fan. I mean, I grew up in Minnesota rooting for the Vikings and, the, you know, I guess the twins won a couple of things when I was uh, <clears throat> or something like that. But uh, uh, no, uh, you know, I, I've never been around anything quite like that run. Um, that, that team was, you know, I, I don't know how it could possibly have flown under the radar, but it kind of felt like it did for the first half of the season. And everything just came together, but uh, you know, under the guidance of Jared Bednar, who's now gone on to have a lot of success in the NHL with the Colorado Avalanche. He was the coach uh, in Cleveland that year, um, and of course, so many players on that team going on to to great things. Uh, you know, some of them, like the captain of that team, Ryan Craig, uh, launched shortly thereafter a coaching career. He's been an assistant coach out in Vegas since they joined the league. You know, other guys, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand and all the Zach Wierenski, all the Columbus guys have gone on to great things with the Jackets. And there's a lot of other great names, too, that uh, are still all over the landscape in the American League, National League, all coming from that team. So, you know, it was uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind that year coming in. It's my first year in the American League, my first year in a new, you know, with a new team. But um, it was I'll never forget what it was like to sort of ride that wave right along with the team as that playoff run kind of came together and, and gained momentum. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're waking up every morning going, Oh my gosh, I think we got a shot at doing this. And so I, I've never been around something like that before. I will never forget it. I will always cherish it. And uh, yeah, it, it proved a lot to me. I think I, I, you know, it, it proved something to myself that I could handle a big moment like that. You know, uh, that that's always the test as a broadcaster is, you know, can you, can you thread the needle and, and, uh, you know, I, I'm just glad I didn't embarrass <laughs> embarrass myself because I was feeling a lot of things at that championship moment, just like I'm sure all of those players uh, uh, were too. And they can tell you all about that experience, I'm sure. So when when that that puck goes in to clinch the Calder Cup, what actually? I mean, you have to be professional at this moment, but what is running through your head other than holy shit? <laughs> just honestly, it's kind of a feeling of. Uh, trying to get out of the way almost a little bit. I mean, the moment is so big. Um, you know, I tried really hard uh, not to telegraph or have any kind of a plan as to what I was going to say. You know, I really don't like when things sound prepared. You know, it's it's all about, in my opinion, at least, play-by-play -play is, is about genuine sort of interpreting of the game and sort of, you know, sort of, like I said, riding that, that wave, uh, that crest kind of, of, of emotion and stuff. So in that moment... I don't know what I was thinking. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, you got to remember that was, uh, you know, sudden death overtime to win a championship. And it was in the final second of that first overtime too. So it was just, it was crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, 
<laughs> it, it's something that it's amazing five years later to a, think that it's been five years since that happened, but also to, uh, to have such clear, vivid memories of, of, of everything. Uh, very, very special. And, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, if I, if anything, if nothing else ever happens in my career, but that I'm, I've been pretty darn lucky to be in that spot. That's cool. And it was exciting to have a, a legit sellout crowd for a hockey game in Cleveland. I mean, that was, yeah. that was, a, that was an electric, uh, building that night. I was fortunate enough to be there and the tickets went quick and it was legit sellout. It was nuts. Yeah. 19665 or something, maybe don't quote me, but something like that. It was definitely 19,000 plus folks, uh, at the time. And I think this is still true. The largest crowd ever to watch a hockey game in the state of Ohio ever. Mm -hmm. uh, so wow. it, it was totally special. Um, yeah, it's, it's not something, I mean, we're definitely used to big crowds, uh, you know, every monster season, we led the league in attendance last year, um, you know, averaging over 9,000 fans a game. And on those big weekends in January, February, we're lucky to have, you know, 13, 14, 15,000 fans in a normal year. But, but that was something else. I mean, that, that building was vibrating and uh, you know, I, I don't even think as a, as a fan or as a kid growing up, I've ever really been in an environment as a spectator or anything to do with sports that even compares to how that felt. I mean, Cleveland was ready for a championship. The city rose up and embraced us. And, and uh, to share that with this city is what's most special to me because as an outsider, you could just feel how much it meant to every single person that got to witness it. So uh, very special thing for me. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this year moving forward. Um, this is year two for uh, Coach Mike Aves, and, and as the head coach of the Monsters, he's returning to the pro game, pro game from last year. Now he's back behind the bench after this 11-month 11, 11 uh, layoff. Uh, as we know, he's a super positive guy, but how, how was his – or how has his spirits been this last week at the rink now that they're back getting ready to go? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great one. I mean – Ever is a, a very enthusiastic guy. He's, he's kind of got an infectious personality, very positive, uh, very optimistic, just sort of in general by nature when you talk to him. And, and you can just see what in, in certain ways, and, you know, in my opinion, it, it almost feels like the guys are relieved a little bit to be back in, the, in this setting, to be back uh, in, a, in an environment that uh, is, you know, not foreign to them. I mean, sitting at home for all these months and being away from the game and, we all know that in hockey routine is, is a huge thing. And so you get out of that routine. Um, you know, you're not preparing for training camp and all those things on a normal timetable. It, it's, you know, a relief almost to get back to something that these guys know very well, which is competing and, and trying to win games. And, and it starts with coach Eves, but it's really everybody that, you know, you know, I will say I'm not, it's not a normal year, of course. So I'm not actually near the team. I can't go, by the team. They're kind of in their own bubble. So the way that we're covering things is, you know, it's a lot through zoom and, um, you know, phone calls and, and stuff like that. But, uh, just being sort of, you know, I've been down to the practice rink a couple of times from a distance and, you know, you can just see the smiles on the guy's faces. It, it's a different season. It's going to be weird. It's going to have a lot of different challenges that go into it. Um, who knows what it's going to look like here, uh, for, you know, this AHL season with, as we've seen, you know, postponements and cancellations in the NHL and with other sports, like who knows how this is all going to go. But for right now, everybody knows that we've got a game on Friday 
uh, they're preparing for it. And, and you sort of get that feeling that everything kind of clicks back in when those guys get to the rink and, and get around each other and, and start thinking about something they haven't been able to think about for, for almost a, a whole year now, which is, you know, simply preparing to play the Rockford Ice Hogs. Take it for granted in a regular year, but it, it sure is nice to have a game on the schedule. Sure. And just a, the the being able to compete, right, against somebody else than yourself uh, and your teammates, that that's that's going to be exciting. And, and man, I sure I, I look forward to watching that game because I know both teams are going to go out there just ready to roll. Yeah, we'll see. You know, I, I have a lot of questions. I mean, will it be Will, it, will the guys be a little rusty? You know, what will the competitive balance be like? We have all these factors at play in the AHL this year that aren't typically at play. Things like the institution at the NHL level of taxi squads, you know, teams all around the league are seeing some of the top players that would have been with their American League affiliates now in that sort of, you know, uh, intermediary step uh, at, with the taxi squad. So they're up with the NHL team, but they're not on the NHL roster. How's that going to impact? Uh, the competitive balance in the AHL. Uh, what about durability? You know, players haven't played for a long time after a layoff, you worry about injuries and stuff like that. Um, the biggest one I'm wondering about is how is the fact that there are going to be in some ranks fewer uh, in other ranks, no fans at all this year. Uh, you know, I think watching the NHL, we can all see that that really impacts the game. Players have talked about it. Um, you know, do you have a home ice advantage if you don't have those, those fans, uh, you know, helping you shift the momentum in a game. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing all that stuff happen. And uh, just, again, you know, like I said, not being in in that team bubble or whatever, not being, uh, you know, with the guys, it's just going to be a strange year to sort of observe it from uh, not literally a different perspective, but it feels like a different perspective this year, uh, sort of from the outside looking in. So, you know, I don't know what we're going to see uh, other than it'll be hockey and uh, everyone's going to be happy for that. So um, I'm excited for Friday. Definitely. So with the monsters move back to the central division, what are some of the rivalries that you're looking forward to a rekindling? Yeah. Uh, well, so that's a good one because we've had a lot of fun with that. Us and the other guys in the, the, the other broadcasters and other teams in the old central division, we used to spend a lot of time with those teams years ago, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, Chicago, Rockford, all these, these teams. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of those individuals that we haven't seen as much of over the past couple of years, folks that work for those teams and some of those players and stuff. Um, you know, uh, the, when you talk about rivalries, the one that sticks out in my time in Cleveland, it's not even close. The fiercest one is, uh, those pesky Grand Rapids Griffins, but by far, uh, had a great playoff series against them in, in 2016. And of course they've had such great teams in the last five, six years. Uh, you know, it's always fun to go to Van Andel arena. That's one of the places that always has a packed house. I know that's not going to be the case this year, but um, it's always fun to go play those guys. Often we have one of them at the end of this season, but often there's a back-to-back -back situation where maybe we'd play in Cleveland on Friday and in Grand Rapids on Saturday. So that creates travel for both teams. And, and there's just a lot of dislike, I think, in general between the Monsters and Griffins that's built up, at least in the six years I've been here. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, there have also been a lot of great games over the years against the Rockford Icehawks, too. That's another team that the Monsters have had a lot of success against, um, set some offensive records at the start of last season uh, against Rockford. So if it's not a rivalry, it's uh, it's a, you know, at least for the Monsters, been a favorable matchup. So I'm looking for those two. But yeah, I'd be lying if I said Grand Rapids isn't the one that springs to the top of the list. 
And I'm sure they'd tell you the same thing. Is that is that because of the uh, Founders Brewery that's there, or is that because of the game? <laughs> I think it's just because uh, as of a couple of years ago, we were playing those guys 12 times a year. Um, you know, it's, it's more just to, just you know um, the travel, all that stuff. I mean, it, it just uh, seems like it's always tight competitive games against those guys, and and hopefully that's the same this year. In addition to the uh, division alignment change, there's uh, some other changes. There's going to be a 28-game season. That's probably a bigger change. So 14 home games, 28 games over the next couple months. Um, are there going to be playoffs at the end of the season? You know, that is uh, my understanding of that. I should say that perhaps there's more information out there than I have, but uh, I don't think there's any plans for that right now, um, or at least nothing's been finalized that's been – relayed to the team. So, um, you know, I'm not sure I, it is going to be strange to think about a season without playoffs at the end of it. You know, that's kind of the way that everybody compartmentalizes the season is thinking about preparing for the playoffs and a chance to win a championship. So whether there will be some version of that, I don't know, but I I would just ask uh, all, all the fans throughout this season to just understand what a monumental undertaking it is even to get to this point with 28, uh, 28 games on the schedule and only divisional play. I mean, it is in a lot of ways miraculous that we're sitting here talking about playing yeah. games. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I would think that the players would want there to be some sort of playoff, um, but I have no idea what yeah. will actually look like if that will happen at all. And, and maybe it won't. And basically my, my attitude on this season is whatever happens, let's just get to next year. And, and hopefully if everything, you know, works out, start on a regular schedule and get back to some normalcy next season. And even if that means there's, you know, the second straight year without a Calder cup champion being named um, you know, I think a lot of folks in this business uh, are just, you know, hoping we can get through whatever this season is and get on to next season. Is there any talk of possibly adding games? I, I had read where some of the teams started out with a 30 game slate and, and they've opted to maybe 40. Now, is there any uh, talk that that 28 could change or no? It, I don't think that will change. Uh, I, I guess I don't have any real official word one way or the other, but I, I can't imagine it would change. I think what you're seeing with teams adding games is uh, perhaps, you know, you look out to the, the, the West, for instance, out in California, there's a lot of teams playing in the same state. That means there's a lot of teams playing, you know, or sort of operating under the same restrictions when it, as it comes, you know, in terms of the pandemic and stuff like that. So um, I think there's flexibility for certain teams where maybe they could talk to an opponent and say, Oh, let's, you know, let's play six instead of four against each other, whatever. But for the monsters, I I think what we've got here is a 28 game schedule and you can uh, check that out on, on monsters website and you can take that to the bank pretty well uh, in terms of, you know, what, how many games we're going to be playing. So we so we get some uh, uh, listeners that submit questions or comments to uh, uh, our Twitter or our uh, social media pages. And, and this one was submitted by the Cleveland Hockey Booster Club at Cleveland HBC. Uh, first of all, it's a statement. It says, Tony's the best, and we're wishing everyone safe travels and healthy hockey. Let's emerge safe on the other side. But the question was, will the pandemic change your game day activities for broadcasts? Uh, first of all, love the Cleveland Hockey Booster Club. I've had a lot of fun with that organization over my time here in Cleveland. Always love uh, hosting the banquet every year. So to all those guys, if they're listening, 
thanks for everything they've always done to be supportive of me. It means a lot to me. And, and I hope to see all you guys at the, at the rink as soon as it's safe to do so. In terms of uh, what my year looks like, uh, it's sort of, it's been an ongoing uh, sort of uh, process to, to see how we're going to attack our broadcast this year. What we do know for sure is that we've got a new radio partner this season that we are thrilled about. Uh, 13, Fox Sports 1350 AM, The Gambler. Um, much uh, you know stronger signal than we've had in recent years. And we're really excited to, to sort of embark on a new era for the Monsters Broadcast Department with The Gambler. Um, I, we will be covering every game home and away just as usual. There was, uh, you know, we explored the possibility of doing some remote broadcasts, but at this point, uh, for road games, that is, just for safety's sake and, and all of those things and for travel's sake. Um, but uh, long story short, I think what we've decided is uh, I'll, I'll be still going to road games. I'll still be on site for road games. My travel will just be different than normal because I'm not a part of that um, hockey operations bubble where players are getting tested you know, on a routine basis and stuff. So what that means is I can't travel as I usually would on the bus with the team. So I will have another way of getting to the road games, but uh, you know, starting with Friday, it, it looks like I will be on the road and just uh, doing, doing our best to stay healthy. Like the booster club said there, that is the number one priority for everybody this year is to avoid um, you know, any sort of setback when it comes to COVID. Uh, and, and so I'm, you know, on the one hand uh, really, really excited uh, to get, you know, to be there, to call all these games in person, calling a game off a monitor is something I've done previously in my career in certain situations. It's a lot less fun than being there in person. Um, it, but we think we found a way for me to be there that is safe uh, for me and for everybody else. And uh, so that's, that's what we're going with. It, it's, uh, I guess, a bit of breaking news there that we will be on the road and on site for all the road games this year. And, and that's, uh, you know, uh, something I'm thankful for and excited about. And, and, you know, it's been amazing all this time to think about maybe will a season start. And then, you know, of course, once the season is, is looming here, it seems like there's a lot to do in that last week, right before the games. I'm sure Scott knows exactly what I'm talking about here. Uh, so we're right in the thick of that right now, but that's a big item we got checked off our list is uh, looks like we found a way I can travel safely. And, and so we'll be there to bring you all the action on uh, 1350, the gambler starting Friday at seven in Rockford. Nice. So this, this question, uh, comment and question was submitted by season ticket holder, Scott Tennant. This, <clears throat> excuse me, this appears to be a young team built around goaltending and a small core of veteran leaders. Would you agree with that assessment and how well equipped do you think they are to deal with such a unique season? That's a good one from Scott. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, uh, Monsters goaltending um, is expected to be a strength of the team this year. They've got Vaney Vavalainen back for his second uh, season in North America. He was quite impressive as a rookie last year. Um, and then, of course, uh, Cam Johnson and Matisse Kivlenics have been sort of trading spots between the taxi squad and the Monsters roster the last couple of days. But in both of those guys, you've got experienced players. Johnson uh, has been in the American League, the ECHL, the last couple of years, but he won a national championship in college at, at North Dakota. Um, and Kivlenics has just blossomed these past few seasons. We've known him for I guess three, three and a half years now uh, during his time in Cleveland. He had a bit of a tough rookie season where he was having to play a lot more games than I think uh, he expected to, um, but he has just been great and, and gained so much confidence these past this past season or so from all the time he spent up with the Blue Jackets. So um, I think the Monsters will be well taken care of in the goal crease there. Of course, 
Can't forget old Brickwall Brad Teeson, our buddy uh, Monsters uh, goaltending coach slash, uh, you know, third goaltending option. So he's in the mix again this year. I think the Monsters are going to be fine there. The rest of the team is interesting. Um, it is a, a sort of a smaller core of guys that have been in this city and, and played for this organization. Um, we did get some news the other day, uh, yesterday, I guess, uh, in Coach Eve's media availability. He revealed the captains for the coming year. So Zach Dalpy will be wearing the captain's C. Um, Dylan Simpson will be back wearing an A for the second consecutive year after signing a three-year contract, AHL contract with the Monsters in the offseason. So that is awesome. And then this one I'm really excited about. Just a great, great guy, Justin Scott, entering his fifth season. He's uh, only played for the Cleveland Monsters in his junior days. He only played for the Barry Colts. He finds a team and he sticks with them. Uh, and he's been awesome for us. He's now uh, just, a, I think it's, you know, a dozen or so games. Don't quote me. We'll have to get our communications coordinator, Nicole, uh, to get the official number. She tracks all this stuff. But he's only a dozen or so games away from being the uh player who's played more games in a Cleveland Monsters uniform than anybody else in franchise history. So for Justin uh, to be, you know, wearing that A, I know it means a great, great deal to him personally. And I can't think of, uh, you know, a better ambassador or leader for this team. He's, he's seen a lot in his time here in Cleveland, that's for sure. So with those guys and some other returners, guys like Cole Sherwood, Ryan McKinnis, organizational prospects for Columbus, I think there's a good core there, but there's also a ton of new players this year. Uh, so the returners are far outnumbered on the Monsters roster right now by the new guys. Um, and they fall into two categories. You've got a, a great, interesting crop of rookie skaters that um, feature guys like Carson Meyer, who played at Ohio State. He's a Columbus area guy, played with Cole Sherwood and Jack Roslovic and all those AAA Blue Jackets guys growing up. Um, we've got, uh, you know, several other young players coming out of the OHL or other situations. Tyler Angle is a name that comes to mind. Um, Matt Struthers, Luke Mancata. These are guys that had a lot of success uh, in the major junior ranks and are now breaking into the, the pro game with Cleveland. And then the other category are these experienced uh, newcoming or newcomers or ex veteran players that are joining the monsters that haven't played here before guys like Adam Haluka, uh, Tyler Secura is, is a big one who's uh, he's been in Rockford the past three years, but a, a proven player in the American League. Um, Cliff Poo, another guy who's got some experience. So, you know, you've got the core of guys that know what Cleveland's all about and have played for Coach Eves. You've got a group of young players who are going to be looking up to those guys. And then you've got a group of guys who know what the American League's all about, but are in Cleveland for the first time. So, any way you want to dice up the roster. I think there's lots of interesting storylines and lots of stuff to talk about. And I guess it's hard to get a read on how it's all coming together, not, you know, being able to be in the room and talk to guys every single day. But I think we'll see on the ice, uh, you know, when we take our first look at the line combinations and, and everything, how this is all going to fit together. What What's good is there are a lot of bodies to choose from, from Coach Eves. There's a lot of different types of players there. Um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting like it is any any season in the early going to see how it all sort of coalesces. Um, personally, I'm interested in watching the defensive core, too, because there's only one returning defenseman this year, and that's Dylan Simpson. He's the heart and soul of that unit. Sure. But, um, you know, there's a lot of other guys that are going to have to play big, big minutes for the Monsters that we haven't seen play before. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing the defensive core and uh, really just. You know, seeing seeing how the puzzle fits together. It's uh, every year it's interesting, and this year I think a little more so. Tony, you you mentioned about uh, the captains that were named last week, and and 
uh, Zach Dalpy being uh, going to be wearing the C. How how is those guys? How are they chosen? Are they chosen by the coaching staff? Are they chosen by the player vote? Like, I mean, can you do you know that answer? Can you walk us through that? Well, it depends on you know. I'm not sure exactly what the case was this year. I mean, of course, last year Dalpy was one of our co-captains, and Simpson wore a letter too. Uh, Nathan Gerby was the other guy, you know, wearing the C for Cleveland, but he's up with Columbus right now. I would just say that in general, it depends on the team. I mean, some teams do it like uh, some coaches opt for a player vote and in the locker room, you know, the players will decide who their leader is. Other coaches name captains, you know, other, other guys, uh, other coaches or other teams just roll with, you know, rotating assistant captains, you know, it all depends on, on that particular coach. In this case, uh, I think it was pretty clear cut, just kind of what we were talking about a second ago, the fact that there aren't as many returning players and, when you do bring back, you know, Dalby, Simpson, Scott, that leadership core, and it's all there for you, um, you know, it makes it probably a pretty easy choice, whether it's the coach or, or the players' teammates making the call. Sure. Earlier in the, in the talk, you spoke about uh, the NHL taxi squads and how it could impact uh, or it will impact the AHL. Um, how do you think it's going to impact the Monsters specifically? I mean, there's some players who would normally be in Cleveland, but they're staying down in Columbus to be hands-on if needed. And, and, you know, what kind of contribution would those players be given this team? Well, yeah, all you got to do is look at, uh, you know, look at who those players are. I mean, you know, let's just start with Adam Clendenning, who's been on that taxi squad since uh, it, you know, <laughs> came to be. Um, he was, what, the leading scorer for the team last year. He was top five in the American League amongst defensemen in points and assists. And he, he just played so many minutes on a night-to-night basis for the Monsters. So I think just missing him right there, one of the top puck moving defensemen in the entire American league that the monsters are going to feel that Uh, I I think he's just such a presence uh, when he's in the lineup for Cleveland and you just look at all the other players that, that are in that group. I mean, you know, these are all guys that have played big minutes in Cleveland before. And by definition, like you said uh, in a normal year, those are guys that would be with the monsters. So that, that's sort of, what everyone in the AHL is dealing with right now, it's kind of, uh, it's almost tantalizing, right? You, you see that all this talent that you normally would have at your disposal, it's right there, just out of reach. But uh, the taxi squads are an important, this is an important point to make. They're an important part of how this is all possible for us to be playing right now. And so for that reason, um, everybody is, you know, it's just a new thing we have to factor in when, when we think about player movement and when, uh, you know, executives and coaches think about, you know, putting the puzzle together in terms of who's going to play where. Um, but, you know, it's it's really vital to the NHL being able to play. And without the NHL being able to play, uh, would we be able to play? That seems unlikely to me. So, um, you know, it would be easy to look at and say, oh, boy, it'd be great to have Adam Clendenning with, with Cleveland, you know, tonight. He's not playing up, you know, there anyway. He's just sitting on the taxi squad. But you got to take a step back and realize that um, – the taxi squads exist for a reason. So will it affect the AHL? Absolutely. It will. Um, how much will it affect the competitive balance of the league? You know, that depends and we'll find out, but uh, it, it's definitely a new wrinkle. We're all adjusting to it, but I think it's important to remember that without the taxi squads, I, I don't even know if we would be getting ready for a game on Friday. So that's what a- I'm trying to remind myself. Is the AHL following suit with the taxi squad? Uh, no. So, well, you mean, does the AHL have a taxi squad yeah, for guys right. going down? Yeah. No, uh, just because, um, 
you know, not every team in the American League, like for us, for example, we don't have an official ECHL affiliate. So, you know, there's not that that same continuity, like every NHL team has an a, a dedicated AHL team. So although that's not true this year, I guess, with three teams opting out, but you get the idea uh, at that level, um, you know, going down from the AHL to the ECHL, I don't think the need exists okay. uh, quite so much. So Right. Well, Tony, hey, we can't thank you enough for uh, talking Monsters Hockey with us. And, and uh, we look forward to Friday night, looking forward to hearing your voice again. And, and uh, it, it, we look forward to Monsters Hockey being back. So thank you again for joining us tonight and talking. And uh, um, good luck. Be safe. Most importantly, be safe, especially during your travels. Uh, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Guys, it's my my pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for having me. It's great to just talk about hockey. It seems like it's been so long since uh, I, I at least have been able to do this on a regular basis. So thank you. And I just want to remind uh, everybody out there that might be listening too. We are on the air starting Friday at seven o'clock from BMO Harris Bank Center in Rockford. We'll have the game Friday and then Saturday afternoon at two o'clock as well. And then get ready for the home opener on Friday, this uh, 12th of uh, February monsters hosting the Rochester Americans to start their 14 game home slate. And you can catch 100% of the action every second of it on our new radio home, Fox sports, 1350 AM, the gambler. So I look forward to talking to you guys on the air and seeing you in radio land. And thanks again for tonight. This was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Tony. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. With reasonable fees, transparency, and athlete development that has prepped players for teams at all levels, Team Ohio is here to coach players for success both on and off the ice. Go to teamohio.com to learn more. Well, guys, that was a great talk with Monsters, the voice of the Monsters, Tony Brown. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's kind of weird because we haven't, you know, we're slowly introducing pro sports back into uh, our our TVs and our radios and all that as the time goes on. And, uh, you know, it was just nice to sit and talk about Cleveland Monsters hockey and the history that he's had, you know, six years now going into it uh, and talk about the Calder Cup. But just his everyday operation as well. I mean, to be an, an on-air announcer like that, the knowledge of a team – not only on the ice, but off the ice as well. It's, it's impeccable. And, and he, he's just so knowledgeable of everything that happens within the organization. I find it very impressive uh, that he can do that. I think that <clears throat> similar to our guest last week, there's an excitement. I mean, there's a reason they're in broadcasting, right? And, and there's an excitement in his voice. And, and as, he, as he stated at the beginning, he met his wife here in Cleveland. He's the longest tenured or tenure he's had in his career has been here in Cleveland. And, and he has a real kindredship to the, to the people, <clears throat> excuse me, when he, when he spoke about, you know, winning the Calder cup and, and being an outsider looking how the city wanted that championship and needed that championship. And what he brings to every, every telecast, every broadcast is just that, you know, the we, we've been to the monster games and you can see how passionate the fans are for hockey here in Cleveland. And, and maybe it's a smaller market, I don't know. They, they seem to be doing well attendance wise. So, you know, it's a good market for hockey and he brings such a, such an excitement to it that makes you want to listen and makes you want to be a part of it and want to go down and, and catch the game. And, and it was just another, you know, another case of somebody who's, who's doing good things in hockey and we're fortunate enough to have him here with the monsters. Yeah. We're lucky. It's a, a, a world-class facility that they're playing in down there. 
and uh, high level hockey. The American Hockey League is great level yeah. of brand of hockey. There's mistakes made, but there are mistakes because the players are going too fast or trying too hard or being too physical. Whereas when I was working for the Lumberjacks and the IHL, it was more guys at the end of their careers on the way down. And it was, you know, mistakes of, you know, guys are being a little too passive or, you know, so uh, it's a very exciting brand of hockey. Like I said, I was fortunate enough to be there when they won the cup in 2016. And that was just unforgettable to have that many people. We actually sold out at one game when I worked for the Jacks, we had the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders in. So, <laughs> and, and I got to be honest, I don't know who really a sellout. We used to fudge the numbers all the time, but uh, you know, they were there to see the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Probably didn't even know anything about hockey, but that night, because I remember going in to get tickets like right after I found out they were playing, you know, and uh, it was sold out almost, uh, you know, overnight. And it was just a fantastic time to be there. So, um, yeah, it's a great, great product down there. And so, like you said, so great to be talking about actual hockey starting up and instead of COVID restrictions. Yeah, yeah. Asking coaches how they're going to run practice yeah. with their gators or their masks or what the, you know. To actually just be talking about hockey is uh, is fantastic. It's only February. You, you know what I find it. You know what I find unique, and I know we've had these conversations before. Is is you know pro pro organizations are kind of they're not cookie cutter, but but they all have their own little ways of running it. But a minor league team can be run in so many different ways. You know, and and Tony was talking about you know those three three tiers of players that. That the that the monsters have, and that the Columbus, you know, want. You know, Scott, we were talking earlier. You know, what what's your thoughts on that? I think you have to make the young guys earn it. There's a lot of organizations that they want their first round pick with the big, you know, the bonus baby, who's you know, the blue chip prospect. They want him to get as much ice time and be on the power play and everything as soon as possible to work on the skills that they're expecting them to use when they get up to the to the show. But, uh, you know, some organizations, and I, I believe Columbus is one of them, wants their kids to earn it. And they'll bring in, uh, you know, the Blasters have a lot of guys who have played four or five years in the American League. They're veteran American League players, and they'll stick them ahead of them, ahead of the kids, and make the kids work their way up the lineup. And I, I think that's the way to do it. Well, it teaches, it teaches the work ethic. It teaches the, the culture. You know, nothing's given, everything's earned. So right. the fact that they do that, and, you know, I'm a huge Red Wing fan for years, the, the knock on the Red Wing, I don't say a knock, but the way it went through the Red Wing organization was that, you know, you get drafted by Detroit, you're, you'll be in Grand Rapids for anywhere up to five years. Three years for it, yeah. So I, I, I applaud Columbus for going that route. You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about 18-year-old kids, 18, 19-year-old kids. Are they ready to are, – are, you have to take such a risk on that. Are they mature enough to handle the grind? You know, you talk about the guys that come in and they hit that rookie wall because they're playing so many more games than what they're used to. Well, you still have your off-ice stuff. That's why so many guys – you know, I was reading in, in uh, Ottawa where uh, that, that Tim Stutzel is living with Kachuk and, and another guy. Who are the mentors? Where, where's the mentorship – it's strongest. You got a guy like Zach Delpy who, who's here wearing the C and uh, I can't find the notes where the, uh, the other guy was. 
uh, Dylan Simpson. Was it Dylan Simpson? I believe yeah, he's one of the assistants. And yeah. Justin Scott. Oh, Justin Scott. I'm sorry, Justin yeah, Scott. Justin Scott. Where he has almost uh, most games played here in Cleveland. So you want to teach these young guys how to be professionals and how to go about day-to-day. A lot of times it's mostly off ice versus on. You know, there's so much more to life than this game, but this game is your life. I know I'm kind of talking in circles here, but there's a lot that goes into preparing these guys to have good, substantial careers, not just flash in the pan and they, they teeter out there because maybe they blew their money or, or they got themselves into trouble off ice. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that, that Columbus is going the route of making them earn it has to pay dividends for these guys professionally and athletically down the road, and, and that's a great thing. Yeah, I, I I think I agree with you know both of you guys on that, and, and having to earn it is something that that you know I, I don't want to say all the pro sports do these days, but um, it definitely is in our game. Uh, it's in hockey, but um, again, each organization is is unique and they're different. Yeah. yeah. Well, look at how many years in a row did the Edmonton Oilers have the first pick, and they just take these kids and put them right in the NHL and play them a ton of minutes, and they. They still haven't won anything. Yeah, right. They're still well, in prime. Or you mentioned Ottawa. Last year, they were going nowhere. It was clear Ottawa was going into a rebuild. They had a bunch of kids down on their American League team, and I think it's in Belleville. And uh, they were killing it down there, and they just left them there all year. Yeah. Which was exactly the right thing. I mean, they would take them one at a time to get a cup of coffee and stuff like that. But as a group, they left them there and let them dominate the American League. And now they're coming up. Yeah. And Ottawa's going to be a tough team in a couple of years. They're doing it the right way. Without a doubt. Well, uh, I can't believe that episode 39, we're getting ready to close the book on it. Uh, It was great to have Tony Brown here to talk to us about Monsters Hockey, and we look forward to that starting this Friday uh, and then the home opener on the 12th. Um, Guys, it was fun. Uh, Until next week, uh, next week's guest, it's it's a mystery. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know who we got next week? We have Cole Bell, the head coach of the OU team, the Division One ACHA team at Ohio University. Cole oh, okay. All right. Yep. All right. So we'll, we'll look forward to have Cole Bell here. Uh, hey, I knew. I knew. University. I knew management was here for a reason. Yeah. The, the big reveal at the end of the show. After there that, I don't know who. <laughs> there we go. We'll, well hey, everyone out there, stay safe. Guys, stay safe. Have a good week. We'll see you guys uh, next week. We will talk to our listeners next week. Continue to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. I can't wait till I get you on the floor good looking. Hey, going hot so hot, just lagging up it. And I will burn myself, I just had to touch it. But it's so Let me show you a